gosh, it's been more than 30 years ago that I did it. And I think I've been asked about it nearly every day of my life. Uh, so it, it is it, inadvertently, it was one of the most important things I ever did in my career. So, you know, there are people out there that think I did it on purpose, which I, I don't understand that way of thinking. I guess maybe if I did do it on purpose, I should be a marketing genius because it was the smartest thing I ever did. Um, but if, you know, if you ever, and, and people have seen it over and over and over, but if you see the look on my face after I did it, it's clear that I just kind of brain cramped and forgot that I was still standing on the field when I pulled my pants down to get the dirt out. That was former major leaguer, Irish baseball ambassador, and guest coach for the Irish Wolfhounds Baseball Club, Steve Lyons. Hello, happy new year, and welcome to episode 78 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Steve Lyons will be my guest on the show today. This will be the second time I've had a conversation with him on the podcast. To hear my previous chat with him, you can go to irishbaseball.org and listen to episode 74, which aired for the first time on November 6th. For more information on the Irish Wolfhounds, Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and the Irish American Baseball Society itself, you should also head to irishbaseball.org. Let's welcome Steve Lyons back to the show. Thanks for being here, Steve. Yeah, no problem. This should be a, a good time. Now, as a lot of Red Sox fans will probably remember, at least ones that are my age and a little older, is that you were on that great 86 Red Sox team until about midsummer, and you got traded away. Could you see that something special was happening on that team when you were there? Or is that a point in your career when you're still young and you're still trying to hang on to a roster that you're so focused on your own game that you don't even notice what's going on in those situations? It was both. Um, you know, I when I got traded, I thought it was going to be an opportunity for me to play more. I thought. Um, you know, I'm going to go to the White Sox. They're not as good a team. I might have a better opportunity to get more playing time than I was with the Red Sox. There was no question. It was obvious that we knew how good we were at the time. I believe when I got traded, I want to say we were nine games out in front in first place. But the media at the time was saying that whoever got Tom Seaver was going to be the favorite in the East to win. And he lived in New York and he wanted to come back closer to home. And the Red Sox had made overtures to try to trade for him in spring training. And uh, I, I think at that time, the White Sox wanted me and the Red Sox wanted to trade Tony Armas, believe it or not. And they didn't want to make that move. So then close to the deadline, the Red Sox said, OK, we'll give you Steve Lyons for, for, for Seaver, and, which sounds like a great deal. But, you know, Seaver really kind of hurt himself towards the end of that year. He never really pitched in the playoffs and he was done after that. And then I never really got the opportunity that that I was hoping for. But as far as the Red Sox were concerned, then it was the only team I ever played on in my career where we knew we were going to win every night. It was that kind of a feeling. And we didn't win every night, but that was our mentality. And when we lost, we looked at it like it was our fault. Like we'd come into the clubhouse after a game where we lost and someone would look around and say, well, someone's going to have to pay tomorrow. Someone's going to get crushed tomorrow because that's the way we do things around here. We just go out and beat teams. And I know they lost in the World Series, and you don't pay too much attention to the, to the National League when you're in the American League and, and trying to 
to to win every game you can. And I know the Mets were a good team, but to me, there's no question the Red Sox were the best team in baseball that year. And there was kind of a, kind of a couple fluky things happened to them that prevented them from winning the World Series. But man, that was that was some kind of good team. And you look up and down that lineup, there were guys that could really hurt you. We were a huge team, you know, big guys, uh, you know, Evans and Baylor and, and, and guys like that. Jim Rice, uh, Tony Armas was on that team, too. You know, just just big, powerful players and, uh, and great pitching with Clemens and guys like that, too. So a lot of fun to play on a team. And it, as I said, the only team I ever played on were where we knew how good we were. We have the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame here with the Irish American Baseball Society. And one of the names that has been coming up this year in the conversations is your teammate at the time, Wade Boggs. And I just got to find out, was he as quirky as everybody says? Like, did you notice the superstitions every day when you were going out there? Or, like I said, are you so focused on your game that whatever anybody else is doing, whatever they got to do to get ready, they do to get ready? It was hard to miss with Wade because everything that he did was pretty well publicized with, you know, eating chicken every day. And he would run his sprints at 717. And uh, it was funny, you know, I wasn't playing a lot. So I had a lot of time to do stupid things. So one time when we were in Toronto, they had a digital clock up on the side of the stadium there. And Wade would come out at about 12 after seven and sit on the bench and wait for the clock to turn to seven seventeen when he would do his wind sprints before the game. And so I had talked to the guy that ran the clock and I told him, skip seven seventeen. Is it possible to do that? He goes, yeah, I can just turn it off at the time. I won't show. And so, <laughs> so, <laughs> So it went from 716 uh, to 718. And he looked up and he was startled and he's like, what? And, you know, he, he didn't know. No one, no one knew that that was happening. And so he, he got mad and he ran out there and he did his sprints and he came back and he didn't say anything. But you could tell that it was like, what happened? How did I miss my time? It didn't matter. He still got three hits that day. So <laughs> it, it just didn't matter to anyone else. He was going to go get two hits every day. And and uh, he was a fantastic player. You know, if I had to bet my life on one guy uh, going to the plate and getting a hit, it would be him. And I know Tony Gwynn, you know, played the game at the same time. Rod Carew was a great hitter. There's a bunch of guys out there. But, boy, I'll tell you what, this, this guy – he, he knew what he was doing and, and he, you know, he had tremendous power. It's the funniest story, you know, that people talk about Wade all the time. He, in any home run hitting contest that they had anywhere, he would win it. But he just didn't want to be known as a guy that could hit 25 to 30 or more home runs, but hit 300. He wanted to hit 12 to 15 home runs and hit 350. That was his style. He wanted to be on base. It was a different game back then, too. Uh, so... Uh, I, I think it served him well. Do you find yourself looking at the game in different ways when you're playing versus broadcasting versus trying to mentor younger players like the Wolfhounds? Do you look at the game differently or do you have to have the same view, just just a different push and a different reason? But are you still looking at the game the same way? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I never really thought of it that way, but 
for me, it's all the same. I mean, I played the game one way. It's the way I like to teach. It's the game I like to see. Um, you know, and and that for me was because of who I was, if I was a different player. And I think you can always learn. I mean, obviously you can always learn more things as you go along. It's, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's not necessarily one way to do everything. There's not uh, necessarily one opinion on how the game is supposed to be played. And I think it depends on who you are as a player. I was a guy that had to hustle. I had to scrap. I had to, you know, fight for everything I had. I didn't fall out of bed and get two hits every day. I wasn't the kind of guy I was. I had to fight to be an average player. But I think if that's the basis you start from, no matter who you are, you're just going to be a better player in the long run. If you feel like you always have to fight for everything you have, even if you are going to be a stud, won't that still make you a better player? Um, you know, play the game right, hustle all the time, you know, play hard. Uh, that's I, I don't see how that can be a bad thing for any player out there, no matter who you are. And during your broadcasting career, you also were in the booth for Dodgers games. And I kind of want to talk about what you thought with another early exit. Maybe a lot of people talking about the playoff structure where they were off for a week and then maybe they get cold. First of all, as somebody who's been at the top level, is that something that would worry you as a player on a good team that you would have a week off and that would kill some of the momentum? But also, what do you think about this Dodgers club moving forward? They have all the talent in the world. This might not have been their best lineup ever, but they still should have been able to win one game against the Diamondbacks in a playoff series. So what are your thoughts on them as somebody who's definitely been around that organization? Yeah, I always have to temper my thoughts on that organization because obviously it was, you know, when they changed networks, um, I lost my opportunity to stay there and work for no reason other than that they changed networks. And I was like, so that, you know, obviously left a little bitter taste in my mouth. So I see the juggernaut organization that they've continued to be even since I've been gone. So I smirk a little bit when they don't play as well as they should. It's, it's only a little one because I'd still love the players and, you know, I still live in Los Angeles. I, I, I like, I like the organization. I just don't like what happened to me there. Um, so that, you know, honestly, it it uh, it leaves a little bad taste in your mouth. But I am and always have been one of those guys that says you have to play baseball consistently. Why do you think they play 162 games in 182 days during the regular season? Because it's a game where you have to keep playing. You have to keep going. That's why guys like me in my whole career, when you're a utility guy and you sit on the bench for a week and then you play against the other team's ace, are you expected to get two hits or are you expected to, you know, go out there and, and, and give the regular guy a day off? Hopefully you can do some kind of damage at the plate, but make sure you catch the ball where you go. You know, you're not going to be a great player when you sit around for a week and don't play. And that's what happened. Look at all the division winners and looked at the same thing last year. The division winners, the teams that had to sit are teams that scuffle. Um uh, it, it, it takes you a while to get your rhythm back. And with the Dodgers, they didn't. And you're right. They did 
you know, cut some payroll and they did it in their pitching staff. Uh, their lineup, their everyday lineup is pretty brutal if you have to face them. And they did nothing. Mookie Betts did nothing. Fre- Freddie Freeman did nothing. These are two guys that are one and two and with Acuna as far as who's going to be the MVP of the league. And they were, what, one for 20 between them or something like that or something awful. Um, you didn't see their best swings at all. Now, do you have to give the Diamondbacks some credit for that? You sure do, because they got pitched very tough. They they looked at some nasty pitches, but it was also a, a fact where they sat around for a week. They didn't have a crowd cheering them on. There wasn't a game situation. It's hard to simulate a baseball game when you're not actually playing one. So, yes, I am one of those guys that think the, the, the playoff format actually hurts the teams that wins. Um, but if you're one of the best teams in the game and you won over 100 games, you got to figure out a way to overcome that and, and play your best baseball against the team that you're supposed to beat. When you try to replicate something like a playoff game with just getting out there and having a scrimmage, obviously you can't replicate the intensity, but can you get out there and do the work in a way that would give you similar results? Or is that just an exercise in futility going out there and playing these scrimmages it's just so hard to replicate any kind of baseball game let alone a playoff game um but you know you just the adrenaline isn't quite there every one of these guys are professional athletes so they have a routine um of the way they go about their business in order to get ready to play a game but it's never the same as actually playing a game but that's what helps them get better in order to do it and that's the only thing that they could do now the advantage of being that team is that any of those guys that are a little nicked up, they get a week to heal. Uh, you can set your pitching staff up exactly the way you want it. So there's tons of advantages to being the best team and having some time off. But just the lack of playing time, to, to me, has always been a big one. I've always talked about that. I've always talked about teams that had to fight their way into the playoffs, and then they get to the playoffs. You know, they're they're ready to roll. They've already had playoff games technically to to get there and they're going to go play a team that's been sitting around waiting or they clinched their division two weeks ago they've been resting their regulars that the games didn't mean anything you know they already had home field advantage you know it's it's hard to turn it on and turn it off in baseball just just really difficult to do and lastly this is the irish baseball podcast so i usually like to ask A lot of our guests, especially ones of Irish heritage, what does that background mean to you and how do you find it sort of creeping into your everyday life? I do feel that there is something about being Irish that every day you notice it in some way or some form or fashion. Yeah, I just thought it meant that I could drink more than anybody else, I guess. (laughs) Uh, You know what? It's, 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 It's great for me because it's finally given me a little bit more awareness of my heritage and my identity because I grew up in a family that for some reason we barely knew who we were. We didn't pay that much attention, I guess. And through this um, has made me pay a little bit more attention to my roots and who I am, where I came from and what it means to be a part of this. Uh, You know, uh, when I was asked, uh, I was very flattered and and felt like, wow, this is this is something I really should start paying more attention to. And I have. And, it, and it's been fun, not only kind of trying to figure out where I came from, but also 
you know, all the players and the guys of Irish heritage that, um, that play the game. And you're like, man, I didn't know he was Irish. And, you know, even Boggs, I didn't know Boggs was Irish. So one of my teammates and yeah, it, it's opened up new doors for me that I never knew was out there. And the elephant in the room when you just ended up having to wipe off some dust on your Jersey and you ended up mooning a stadium full of people. So what is that like? You've always seemed to have a really good attitude about that situation when you ended up taking off your pants in front of an entire stadium, kind of lost your mind for a minute. What was that like? And how often do you get reminded of that uh, during your daily excursions? Gosh, it's been more than 30 years ago that I did it. And I think I've been asked about it nearly every day of my life. Uh, so it, it is, inadvertently, it was one of the most important things I ever did in my career. So, you know, there are people out there that think I did it on purpose, which I, I don't understand that way of thinking. I guess maybe if I did do it on purpose, I should be a marketing genius because it was the smartest thing I ever did. Um, but, if you know, if you ever, and, and people have seen it over and over and over, but if you see the look on my face after I did it, it's clear that I just kind of brain cramped and forgot that I was still standing on the field when I pulled my pants down to get the dirt out. So I've had 30 years to work on great answers when people ask me the question. Some of them are a little more X-rated than, than, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, but, you know, I always just joke, you know, people say, what were you thinking? I was like, ah, I was in Detroit. I needed a date and, you know, something stupid like that. But I literally just um, with the argument that was going on and it was it was Cecil Fielder and Dan Petrie was the pitcher. Um, and. Dan Evans was the umpire, and they were all arguing because I was out. You know, if we had replay, you would have seen that I was out, and he called me safe. And so I was kind of happy about that, but I just literally forgot I was still standing on the field and all the dirt was running down the inside of my pants. And it's not fun. It's, you know, it doesn't feel good. But when you think about it, you know, 50% of the time you slide, you're out. So you run back into the dugout, you run up the steps a few feet, and you pull your pants down and get the dirt out. Well, I just kind of forgot I was still standing on the field because I was listening to those guys argue so much. So that was, uh, that was, that was, that's the whole story behind that one. You kind of remind me of the executive at Coke who was asked if new Coke was like some sort of Machiavellian advertising scheme to get people to buy Coke again. And the executive said, I'm not that stupid, but more importantly, I'm not that smart. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's, I, I want to say, I could be totally wrong about this, but there's a golf tournament and the guy, I want to say the guy who was the, the top executive at Coke always played with Phil Mickelson and his name's Steve Lyons. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Steve Lyons, thank you so much for this conversation. It was really great. We got to cover a number of topics from the Wolfhounds to what's going on right now in the game. And it's always great to have somebody with your insight on the show. Anytime. Uh, I enjoyed it. I'm your host, Rick Becker, and this has been episode 78 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. One thing we're going to be trying in 2024 will be to preview some of our podcast interviews and allow dues-paying members of the Irish American Baseball Society to ask questions of our guests. I can promise you we are working on some big guests this year. Head to irishbaseball.org right now and make sure that you are a dues-paying member. You will not regret it. This 
is the Irish Baseball Podcast. <laughs>